Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to this special Best of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen on the eve of America's birthday. Today is July the 3rd, 2023. This is a special edition of Mornings with Carmen. We're going to talk some today about what it means to live as people who are genuinely free in Christ and the freedom for which God has made us free people. But first, let's get into the Word of God, that the Word of God might get into us so that when we get out there into the world and it squeezes us, and it will, What comes out of us will be grace and truth. That'd be a good thing. So today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day is 1 John 2, verses 5 and 6. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That's how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So, uh, my friend, this is what I would describe as a conditional series of sentences. They, they build on each other. It begins with the condition of a person who professes to follow Christ. So, but those who obey God's word, so that is those who are following Christ. That person, John says, shows how completely they love God by living in obedience to the word of God. This is not just hearers of the word, but doers of it, as James might say. So how do we know we are living in God? Well, John says here, you would live as Christ. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So if you profess to be a person of God, a child of God, then you live as Christ. The question then rightly follows is, well, how did Jesus live? Like, what does that look like? Uh, Number one, I would say um, Jesus lives in communion with the Father, in communion with God, as one with the Father, remaining, abiding, living in full fellowship with the Father and the Spirit, in constant communication. Now, for us, that means a life of intimacy, a life of prayer, um, seeking God, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, attuning to God first and foremost, um, orienting our lives to God. So that might be um, one way of understanding how we would live as Christ lived in communion with God. And we do that by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and then this this question of how did Jesus live? Well, Jesus also lived to the glory of God. He literally lived that God would be glorified, that um, that the will of God would be carried out in the world. So for us, that means to live on mission and in commission with Christ, the Great Commission as commissionaries. Um, we, we, we talk about Matthew um, 28 and what Jesus has to say there, and then how we live by the power of the Holy Spirit as co-missionaries with Christ, carrying out his mission in the world. Um, the, um, the Westminster Catechism starts with what is the chief end of man, and it's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Our mission is to bring glory to God, and 
What does that look like and how does that happen? Well, we carry on the mission of Christ in the world that we would seek and save the lost. I mean, we don't do the saving, but we now in this generation do the seeking and the sharing of the good news of the gospel. And then I think a third component of um, living as Jesus lived is in submission. So it's one thing to live in communion with God, and it's another thing to live on mission with God. It's another, it's a, it's another thing altogether to do all of that in full submission to the Father, not to the gratification of the self or the seeking of um, what the self might want in any given moment. It's submission to the Father. We see this on full display throughout the life of Jesus, maybe most profoundly in the Garden of Gethsemane. So what does that look like for you and for me? to live in obedience to the Word of God, to live as Jesus lived in communion with God, um, on mission with God, to the glory of God, in full submission to the Father. Um, I think that means that contrary to the cultural waters and winds or ways of expressive individualism, um, where personal autonomy and personal rights and personal freedom are worshipped and glorified, we instead— lead lives in obedience and submission to God and to God's Word, seeking that God would be glorified and Jesus' name be made famous, not our own. So what does it look like to lead a life of righteousness in a rights-dominated culture? Well, it looks like Jesus. It looks like obedience to God's Word as living demonstrations of His character and His ways. On this, um, or during this special holiday week, we are going to revisit a few conversations that we've had with some good friends. Um, These have been some listener favorites. So this morning, we're going to revisit the Transformed Life series that we've been in with Dave Buring. What does it mean to have a life that's no longer conformed to this world, but a life that is transformed by the renewing of the mind? And what's that process of transformation look like in real life? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Our friend Dave Buring is back with us today from Lionshare. You can find what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. Good morning, Dave. Good morning. Happy Easter week. Mm-hmm. Happy Easter week. So um, uh, I I see these notes in front of me and I have um, printed out like uh, 24 pages. So I'm <laughs> thinking that you and I might um, have this conversation about transformation and the transformed life that we, you and I might start this conversation today, but that we might have it over um, the course of several visits. Would that be OK? That would be just dandy. Because I um I think this is a critical um conversation. There are a lot of people who um, think they're Christians. I mean, they say they're Christians. They've, they mm-hmm. made, they've, they've made the transaction. They've done the deal. They've, uh, you know, right. Um, they have prayed the prayer, but their life is not transformed. Can you talk yeah. with us about what we're going to seek to address and then we'll start addressing it? Yeah. Carmen, I, it's a concern that I have. And it's something I've watched for decades now where someone sincerely has that moment where they encounter Jesus, very real life 
you know, invite Jesus to become the Lord of their life. Their sins are forgiven. But what often happens is they're not connected to a further along follower of Jesus to begin to grow. And mm. there's not not an understanding that, um, look, this is this Christian thing, this following Jesus thing isn't just about following Jesus to heaven. It's about following Jesus on earth. And oftentimes we kind of feel like tickets have been punched to heaven. We're good. And we just attend church and we learn a bit about the Bible, maybe look for a way to serve and give a little bit. But, but this thing is completely different. The reality is Jesus has come into our life in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God comes into our lives and he wants to start making us look more like Jesus. Our personality, our gifts, the way we look, all that stuff. But he wants to explode in and through our lives to touch a lost world. So, Dave, um, I want us to imagine that, you know, we are somebody listening right now who is like, well, but I, I do all the right things. I go to church. I mm-hmm. listen to Carmen. I, uh, right. I do a debut. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, uh, I'm tuned in right now. I mean, surely I'm doing it right. This is not about, I mean, there is some doing involved. Absolutely. Um, but sure. this is about becoming, this is about shedding and dying and becoming this, this tra- can you just talk a little bit about the transformation process that you're inviting us to consider. Yeah. And, and I think you're exactly right. It's like, you and I know as followers of Jesus, as friends, that we cannot transform ourselves. It's it's an impossibility. And people can be a big help and encouragement to it, but ultimately they can't transform us. God is the only one that can bring about transformation. And just this is purely an observation from scripture and how God does this in people's lives. It seems like the way transformation comes, Carmen, is when God reveals something to us, he shows us something from scripture. It might be driving our car and in our heart, we know that, and I got to make that thing right with that person, or I need to be able to, to go do this thing because the Lord's asking me to. But when God reveals something to us and we engage that, this is like our part, like God does the revealing, but our response to him is simply obedience. I'm going to go do that thing that I think God's putting in my heart to do. Then transformation comes. And one of the ways I like to express it, how I experience it in my own life and have watched others is obedience is the engine of transformation. So God does the revealing and God does the transforming. He does all the heavy lifting. Our role in this is simply responding to what he's initiated in obedience to him. And then we can watch him do things both in and through our lives. So I want you to hear that again. Obedience is the engine of transformation. So if you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, okay, I actually know what God has said. I have, um, I am a person who has been saturated in the word of God and I have been, um, I have sat under very good teaching. I actually know the truth. Um, but I have not responded in obedience. Like that's the disconnect. And we want to talk about it and we just want to acknowledge it and we want to recognize it. So obedience is the engine of transformation. We're going to unpack that further with our friend Dave Buring in just a moment. You can find what we're talking about at lionshare.org. Did you know that whatever you're experiencing today, whatever you're going through, the suffering, the challenges, the questions you have, 
God has something to say to you about all of it. We have an ongoing Reading Through the Bible Together series at MyFaithRadio.com, and we're exploring what God says about suffering, truth, and godliness. We're reading the book of 2 Timothy together. Did you know that God has given not a spirit of fear, but that God has given you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind? I mean, how cool is that? It's in 2 Timothy that God's Word says of itself, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that every person um, might be complete and equipped for every good work. So I'm wondering, would you join us in reading the Bible together at MyFaithRadio.com that you might be equipped through God's Word for the good works that He's prepared in advance just for you, and that you might discover that God is with you right now in whatever you're experiencing, the suffering, the challenges, the questions, God's got something to say about all of it. Join us at MyFaithRadio.com in reading the Bible together. This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. All right, we're talking with our friend Dave Buring from Lionshare, and we're talking about the transformed life and the process of transformation. Um, Dave, when we uh, when we talk about obedience being the engine of transformation, let's just settle in there a little bit longer and talk with us about um, obedience. So when we look at Jesus, there's several things that he said to us related to obedience. And Carmen, I know all of us have had different experiences when it comes to this word obedience. And the thing I want to just start by saying is Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's a relational statement. That's not a prove it to me, buddy, that you love me. It's a relational statement. And if we love Jesus, the way that we love people that are close in our lives, there's a desire to bring him joy, to please his heart, to do what he asks us to do. So I think, you know, when Jesus first spoke these words, I think if his disciples were, you know, then looking at him, he kind of would have said, hey, if you love me, maybe with a little bit of a shrug, then you'll obey me. In other words, it just makes sense. Like if you love someone who you have the opportunity to follow in light of all that they've done for you, forgiveness from our sins, uh, a destination of heaven for our future, uh, authority over the devil where he tries to attack us. It's out of love that we walk in obedience to Jesus. So I want to begin with that point, because I think that's a really key thing. Love is the basis of our obedience, not performance. Dave, when we talk about, I want to back up um, just one second, because when we talk about transformation, we're not just talking about like a a somewhat better version of myself. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you be sure that I know where I'm, headed here um because you know i want to submit in obedience but when i start inviting god to be doing that work like he alone knows the outcome (laughs) yeah he alone knows where that process is headed it's not like oh i have this vision board of the best version of myself and i'm going to invite god to make me that that's not (laughs) what we're talking about here no we're not we're talking about how Jesus sets aim on our lives to transform us from the inside out. 
And it is a process. And but it's something that we have to realize it, it's like you said, it's not something you put on a vision board. So, OK, I'm going to take these next three goal steps to get to here. It's actually being responsive to what he initiates because he's the only one that knows 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, depending on our age, what it is that he wants to be doing both in and through our lives. And so he sees that. He knows that. Like, I think I'm 63. And when I was 18, 19, 20, and really pursuing Jesus hard in my life, somebody came alongside and helped me see this and said, Dave, you don't know what you're going to be doing. I'll just pick 63 when you're 63. But Jesus does, and he knows what you need to be prepared for those moments in your life. And so just follow his lead. So all of a sudden, when he started convicting me of areas in my life, of sin areas or areas of hurt where I needed to be healed, it was responding to him. It wasn't fix me. It wasn't grow me. It wasn't mature me. It was let me be obedient to what he's highlighting in my life. And as I do that, he does stuff in me. That's where, again, it's God reveals something to us. We be responsive and obedience to him out of love and transformation begins to come in our lives. So what God reveals to us, he intends for us to obey. I want you to think about this for just a second. Obedience is the engine of transformation. So is there anything that God has revealed to you that you have not obeyed? And if you've been wondering, like, you know, why am I stifled? Um, that That is a good, good place to, to turn today. Um, Dave, yeah. I would be remiss if you and I didn't... Um, uh, didn't acknowledge that the community in which we live is desperately sad right now. Um, yes. And so um, for those of you listening and maybe don't know this, Dave and I both live in the greater Nashville area, um, and both of our congregations and many of our friends have been directly affected by uh, the shooting that took place at the Covenant School last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to give you the opportunity to address the desperate sadness. Yeah, it's... it's uh... It's been a pretty interesting week just watching our community here respond to this. You know, by the grace of the Lord, we hadn't had to deal with something quite like this until last Monday. And I was actually at a at the church last Sunday where the um, headmaster of the school was. And, you know, to, to hear and learn of, you know, what had happened was shocking to me. And that that Monday evening, I was in a conference here in town that uh, is a part of fellowship of leaders that I'm a part of. And it was just remarkable to, remarkable to me how many people at that event that I spoke to knew one of the six people that had passed. And the thing that we have to remember in all of this, in the midst of our mourning, in the midst of our grieving and our shock, a couple of things. One is we do need to rejoice in where those people are right now and that they are in the presence of the Lord. And the Bible talks about that. We do not mourn without hope. And it is something that, you know, the fact of the matter is those six, although we miss them here, their families are desperate today. Those six are basically saying, you guys should be here with me. Wait till you see what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing. And that creates hope within us. Secondly, yesterday in our church service, we prayed for the family of the the young woman that was at the core of all this Mm -hmm. and can only imagine her family 
and the devastation they're walking through. And I think we need to continue to pray for them. And um, and then we need to to pray for our city, that this is a time that there can be a unity, particularly amongst the body of Christ and not divisiveness and and asking Jesus to heal the hearts of those that are just flat out sad. So let's pray for that. Let's pray over the school and the church there. And uh, Jesus, we, like one of the prayers, Carmen, I've learned to pray in bad situations. I was taught this early. Jesus, I don't understand how you're going to do this, but you, would you in some way be glorified through all of this? And so I think that's another prayer we can pray. Yeah. Well, Dave, as always, um, thank you so much. Maybe we'll just uh, we'll conclude um, here today with a prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of coming into your presence as brothers and sisters in Christ and bowing down before you, acknowledging that um, we don't understand. We don't know. We don't know how to respond. We're insufficient. We need you. Um, We long to feel safe. Um, And so, Father, shelter us today. Hold in your tender mercies those um, who've been directly affected and those who've been indirectly affected. Mm -hmm. Um, Each child and each parent and each church member and each member of the community and each neighbor um, of every single one of these families, including the Hales. Father, let um, let us never lose sight of your desire to redeem and transform. Um, And yes, yes, Jesus, even though we don't understand how, use this to glorify yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you. We're going to continue our conversation with Dave Buring on this um, subject of transformation over the course of his next several visits, which I just sprung upon him. Um, But it's um, it's a really critical conversation, and obedience is the engine of transformation. So I want you to consider all the things that you know that God has revealed to you, that he has revealed are his will. And then measure yourself against that and say, where have I failed to be obedient to what I know God has instructed and directed me to do? Transformation comes when we are obedient to what God has revealed. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. There's no question that the identity politics of the age often drives the conversations of the day. And so considering our identity and who we are in Jesus Christ and then how we actually adopt and apply the mind of Christ on the issues of the day, issues like feminism or racial justice, gay pride, the trans movement in the culture today, like how do we look at these things through the lens of the gospel? And then how do we engage in these arenas of cultural conflict, Um, not mirroring back uh, to the culture its ways and not trying to argue with people and certainly not ignoring the challenges, but identifying a better way forward. That's the conversation that um, we had with Ben Chang about Christ and the culture wars, speaking for Jesus in a world of identity politics. So coming your way in about three minutes, um, our conversation with Ben Chang on Christ and the culture wars. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen.
This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Ben Chang is born, is uh, joining us now. You can find him at benchangblog.com. His new book, Christ and the Culture Wars, Speaking for Jesus in a World of Identity Politics. Ben, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. And it's lovely to be with you. I like the idea of babbling with Ben. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I thought I'd start with a bit of a lighthearted, lighthearted slogan for, for the website. I love it. Um, so the motivation um, to address this topic will not be uh, will not be a surprise to anyone. I actually just want to read the dedication and let you reflect on um, mm-hmm. uh, the world that Emmanuel is going to grow up in, um, and and maybe how you are desiring to speak into the world um, that our children are going to inherit. So the dedication in the book says, To my godson, Emmanuel, I have no idea what kind of world you're going to grow up in. But whatever happens around you, I pray that you will grow up to know and love Jesus. There, There is um, there is a message in there about your worldview. Can you um, reflect on that? Yeah, for sure. Um I, I in a couple of weeks' time, uh, we're going to be celebrating Emmanuel's first birthday. So he's uh, a really small uh, baby, and and uh, the son of um, some good friends of mine. Um, and I chose to dedicate the book to him, and um, by extension to people of his generation, um, because I mean our world is being transformed in in ways that are um, so comprehensive and so rapid. And the people who are going to be most affected by um, uh, the this cultural revolution that's happening um, across the world uh, are children, are, are people who are um, growing up, who are going to school at the moment, and those younger than them. Um, and I have this real passion that it is uh, up to us to really grapple with these topics um, and think through them and then uh, be able to uh, engage with them and teach them um, for our sake, for the sake of the church, uh, but also um, perhaps most acutely for the sake of the next generation. So that's why I chose to uh, dedicate the book uh, to my nearly one-year-old godson. I like um, where you where you open, which is this reality that like tectonic plates, um, the culture has shifted very dramatically um, in ways that have uh, it, uh, destabilized things. Like if I think about liter- how literal tectonic plates move, It would be incredibly destabilizing to be alive when that was happening. Um, Those shifts have impacted uh, not just the West, but the rest of the world. Um, Part of that is the way the world now sees the church. Can you just reflect a little bit on sort of the the current reality that we find ourselves in? Um, I know that that might be trying to look at what we're looking at, but can you help us do that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I suggest in the book that we are living in this grand cultural story, this grand cultural narrative um, that is uh, defined by the story of the oppressed groups uh, waking up to their oppression and then rising up to fight against and overthrow their societal oppressors. Um, so we look at uh, feminism and how feminism is rising up against the patriarchy or ethnic minorities uh, rising up against white supremacy or uh, gay people and gay pride rising up against homophobia and heteronormativity and trans people rising up against kind of binary gender norms. And in this grand cultural story, uh, I suggest that Christians have found ourselves labeled as the oppressors. So Christians, in the eyes of our culture, are the homophobic, transphobic, sexist, racist, anti-liberal, anti-progressive bigots who need to be overthrown. 
And so uh, my, my book is basically trying to um, answer the question, well, what now? How should we uh, respond and engage as Christians to this culture that paints us out to be the oppressors? Um, first of all, it is, um, it's helpful uh, the way in which you frame the the stories of feminism, racism, um, the the gay and the trans pride um, movements in the culture, it the framing of those um, in in the first part of the book is very helpful because you help us to see um, the claims that they're making and the structure of um, not only their argument um, but how I as a Christian am seen through their lens. And mm-hmm. that is really helpful to for you to show us how um, those who are, whose identity is in these various isms, um, their view of me and my ism, like I recognize I operate as a Christian um, and that that influences um, who I am, how I, how I live and than how others see me. But sometimes, Ben, it's hard for me to see how others see me. And I think that that's one of the real gifts that you give us in part one of the book. Oh, yeah, thank you. Um, and I'm very heavily influenced by uh, a British theologian called John Stott, um, who was um, uh, the rector of uh, my current church, All Souls Lying in Place. And uh, one of his big ideas, one of his many big ideas, um, uh, was this idea of double listening, that in order to uh, be a faithful and effective disciple of Jesus, we need to listen to the Bible, listen to the words, know it in depth. But we also need to listen carefully uh, to the world, uh, both the world at large and also our individual uh, worlds around us. And then uh, being a, a modern contemporary disciple of Jesus means building a bridge between the word and the world. And that's basically how I frame um, the opening chapters of the book. I'm trying to do um, one side of the double listening to begin with, listening to the world really carefully um, without wanting to pass judgment or, ra- or or wanting to get onto my soapbox, but rather just listen, uh, listen to uh, what people are saying, uh, listen to the books that are driving this, um, th- this cultural narrative um, so that we can then start to speak with credibility into this world because if we don't do our listening um i think the the world can tell that very quickly and and uh, we lose our credibility very fast yeah we might be right um but we're not regarded as credible because of the way um christianity has come to be seen and because of the way that other christians have responded to the world along the way like we have we have as Christians, maybe not you and I personally, but we collectively of Christ, as Christians have trained the people of the world to respond to um, what we're trying to do now. Um, I mean, like we've we've trained them um, in in part to respond to the gospel um, in ways that um, are negative, and so you deal with that as well. Um, you talk about the three common Christian responses. And um, and you, you frame them, these words are great, mirror, argue, ignore. And so maybe just encapsulate that for folks so they can um, understand and, and maybe find themselves uh, in one of these three very, very common Christian responses um, to sure. like why, why they don't see us as Jesus-y. 
it's a great it's a great, it's a great adjective jesus um i yeah yeah so uh, in the middle part of the book i look at these three responses that you mention um so mirroring uh what i mean by that is um some people who've been labeled as the oppressors in this grand cultural narrative have responded by trying to hunker down into their own identity groups um, and order and uh, are, are setting to um, defend and fight for their own rights um so black lives matter protests are met with calls of white lives matter and all lives matter um or if they call us um bigots and phobic then we'll call them snowflake and liberal elite uh, and so we end up just trying to mirror the arguments and the strategies um of uh, the social justice activists back at them uh, and so we end up with the quote unquote culture wars and i suggest um in in the book that uh this response is unproductive at best and can be really destructive um so that's mirror and then i move on to argue uh, i suggest that many christians have tried to argue with and debate the issues um, raised by these movements and i acknowledge that there are lots of important discussions to be had uh, particularly um, around sort of political policy around healthcare and education there are lots of debates that need to be had but the problem is that we now live in a world that um, seeks to cancel people who have, quote unquote, uh, politically incorrect opinions. And so if you debate or argue or even just suggest opinions that are uh, are unpopular, you run the risk of being um, cancelled, uh, deplatformed, blocked on Twitter, called a bigot and then ignored. And I think that's something that we need to um, push back on. I, I do f- firmly believe in in the important place of of, um, of debate and disagreement in the public square. But I also we also need to acknowledge that we live in this cancel culture that seeks to cancel those who hold unpopular beliefs. And then third and finally, um, I look at the the response of ignoring. Uh, and I think this is where most Christians uh, fall, at least in my experience, that we just bury our heads in the sand because we're too scared to broach these topics in public or in private. And so we simply bury our heads in the sand. And uh, to quote a uh, British uh, World War II poster, we just keep calm and carry on doing what we have been doing for the last few decades. Um, but I suggest that actually this isn't working, that, um, uh, as you mentioned, um, Christians are uh, increasingly seen as uh, as as extreme, as uh, non credible, uh, as not worth listening to, and so I don't think we can just quote keep calm and carry on. We need a better approach. We're going to talk about that better way um, with Ben Chang in just a moment. Uh, the book is Christ and the Culture Wars: Speaking for Jesus in a World of Identity Politics. Do you um did you recognize yourself in that? Do you have a tendency to mirror? the way um, that those who are engaged in identity politics go about um, fighting for their own rights and liberties? Um, are, you, are you a person who mirrors the world in terms of how you fight um, with the weapons of the world and maybe not in the way of Christ? Are you, did you see yourself in, well, I'm, I'm that kind of Christian who tries to argue. I like to debate ideas and ideologies. I mean, I like people to have reality, reasonable arguments for things. And Maybe we need to recognize no one's ever been argued uh, into faith, that it comes, um, you know, by God's generous revelation. Um, Or are you, do you confess that, you know what, you've just turned away from it? You have, you've begun to ignore um, the world and its concerns, um, and you're just really pretty happy going about your own um, Christian life, maybe in the context of your own small, even shrinking Christian community of other believers, um, 
as the world goes to hell. Like, is there a better way? Let's talk about the better way next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Did you know that whatever you're experiencing today, whatever you're going through, the suffering, the challenges, the questions you have, God has something to say to you about all of it? We have an ongoing Reading Through the Bible Together series at MyFaithRadio.com, and we're exploring what God says about suffering, truth, and godliness. We're reading the book of 2 Timothy together. Did you know that God has given not a spirit of fear, but that God has given you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind? I mean, how cool is that? It's in 2 Timothy that God's Word says of itself, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that every person um, might be complete and equipped for every good work. So I'm wondering, would you join us in reading the Bible together at MyFaithRadio.com that you might be equipped through God's Word for the good works that He's prepared in advance just for you, and that you might discover that God is with you right now in whatever you're experiencing, the suffering, the challenges, the questions, God's got something to say about all of it. Join us at MyFaithRadio.com in reading the Bible together. This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. Continuing our conversation with Ben Chang, the book is Christ and the Culture Wars, Speaking for Jesus in a World of Identity Politics. You can connect with Ben and get lots of information about the book and read his blog at BenChangBlog.com. Um, Ben, let's jump to the better way. Talk with us about the power of storytelling and the possibility of recapturing culture by telling the story of the counter narrative of the gospel. Sure. Yeah, I um, suggest that um, identity politics um, and our current modern culture, uh, I I suggest in the book that uh, this culture is not actually driven um, by uh, logic and reason and political arguments but rather uh, by stories of stories finding uh, liberty and freedom and fighting for justice and overthrowing their oppressors. And therefore, I think a, a Christian response should not involve kind of facts and rules and arguments and condemnations because you can't argue against the story. Rather, what we should be doing as Christians is seeking to uh, tell a more powerful counter-narrative. In the words of uh, my my friend and and professor um, of psychiatry, Glenn Harrison, uh, we need to tell a better story. And I suggest in the book that actually a lot of the principles uh, that drive the identity politics movement, such as uh, liberty and identity and justice and equality, are actually at base fundamentally very Christian ideas. And therefore, if the Bible is true and the ultimate story of reality, then Christians will have a better story to tell on these issues than our culture. The appropriation of um, of language is, is one of the things you got me thinking about. Um, let's talk about some ways that the gospel does resonate with the culture today and how we can actually use some of the language and the images, um, the ideas that uh, culture imagines or identity politics um, imagines, you know, are their words and their themes and and, and help us see those as uh, places and ways to point back to the better story of the gospel. Mm. Yeah, so we could take um, well, any one of, of these many examples. Um, so we could take, for example, the idea of liberty 
Uh, anyway, we, we all agree that uh, people who are oppressed and enslaved should be set free. But it, does our culture really give the best, most fulfilling story about liberty, about freedom? Uh, after all, uh, does freedom really come through total autonomy, doing whatever we want? Because that's the narrative that is put forward. Liberty comes from people being able to do whatever they please. And we actually know just logically from experience that that's not always the case. You know, every time that I uh, hand my car keys over to the the mechanic or if I uh, self-isolate after catching an infectious disease or if I send my children to school, in each of those examples, I am foregoing my autonomy in order to gain greater freedom and liberty in the long run. And actually, if we lived in a society where everyone just acted however they please as totally autonomous individuals, it would soon become anarchy, not paradise. Mm. So might it be that actually there's a better story of liberty, perhaps one that involves a world that's uh, oppressed and enslaved by sin, uh, but then is, uh, it tells of a, a, a savior who died so that we might be set free. But this freedom does not come from total autonomy, but rather living life the way it was meant to be lived. God's commands are not repressive diktats we follow begrudgingly. Rather, they are the creator's solid moral framework that show us how to flourish in God's creation. Surely that is liberty. Surely that is better liberty. That is a better story of liberty than anything our culture can offer. Um, so perhaps that would be, be one example. Yeah, I, it's the restoration of of a right relationship of the creature to the creator, and in a culture where people like to imagine that they're self made, um, and that um, they have exchanged the truth about God for lies, right? Worshiping creation themselves in many cases instead of the creator. Like this is not new. Like we even have biblical language for it. Um, and for those listening who don't know those references, they come from Romans chapter one. So um, I think that when we ground ourselves in Scripture, when we ground ourselves in um, in the best story ever, we become able to see truth, um, and and then we need to be equipped to speak it. So I I want I don't want to miss the um, the very last portion of the conversation, which is a bit of a how now shall we live or how shall we now live. Um, <laughs> Uh, which it's interesting to me, Ben, this is a conversation that has to be brought forward in every generation. This conversation about how now shall we live as Christians demonstrably as redemptive witnesses in the world today? Because what worked a generation ago does not work today. Yes, and, and that is the the last chapter of the book, is how we should live. So the book is mostly about how we should speak, um, but I do end on how we should live. And I and I uh, take uh, Chris Wright's idea of we are redeemed for redemptive living. So throughout the whole of the uh, Bible narrative, uh, God's people are redeemed, but then are commanded to uh, go and redeem others. So, for example, when the Israelites are freed from slavery in Egypt, one of the first commands they get following the Ten Commandments is here is the... Uh, the system by which you should release your Hebrew slaves. So the released slaves were meant to go on and release others. And so uh, we are redeemed as the people of God and we should redeem others. And um, I give some examples uh, in the book, uh, particularly looking at the at the UK context, but I think uh, these apply further, uh, further afield. 
um, around how we should treat those who are oppressed or marginalized or disadvantaged uh, in our society, uh, in our churches, in our uh, neighborhoods and in the wider world. Um, because, you know, if we if we simply just spout a redemptive gospel, but then just leave all these uh, needs uh, just un unmet, then we lose our credibility, we lose our authenticity uh, very quickly. Um, I think our our world, our, our world of identity policies, not only needs to hear of a redemptive gospel, but to see it too. I think that um, it's in that seeing, it's in having that proximity of relationship um, where I earn the right to tell the story, to tell the better story. Um, and so I appreciate that, um, you know, you land the plane, you, you end the book um, at, at, the, at the truth of um, as I live my life in next to, um, in proximity to others, um, whatever story they're telling, whatever they're advocating, um, they're going to rub up against. It's going to run into the story that I'm living and that is going to, I hope, win me the opportunity to then, you know, speak the truth in love as, um, as you outline and, um, and unpack. So I, thank you. Thank you for your contribution to the conversation that each and every one of us needs to be engaged in. The book is Christ and the Culture Wars, Speaking for Jesus in a World of Identity Politics. Um, you can connect with Ben at his website, benchangblog.com. Ben, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Carmen. Absolutely. All right. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. We'll be right back. So as we anticipate the 4th of July tomorrow, I always think that it's a good reminder to uh, talk about what it means to be free and why it matters, particularly as Christians. So God created us to be free, um, even free from himself, if that's what we wanted. I mean, that's true freedom, right? The freedom to choose even that which is ultimately not best for us, not the best choice, not even the right or righteous thing. True freedom is the freedom to reject God um, and to live unto self. True freedom is the freedom to stumble and fall and fail. And well, we know that's actually, you know, the choice that humanity has made all along. We have chosen to go our own way and have our own head and make our mistakes, and we have broken ourselves against the very natural laws of God. So imagining that we knew better than God, we actually sought to be free of Him. That, that is what the free exercise was in the Garden of Eden, that one choice um, where humanity found ourselves freed from God's personal guiding companionship um, as if we could live apart from him. And so that's, that is the sort of dangerous side of freedom when freedom is used as license for sin. So on this side of the fall, in the reality outside of the Garden of Eden, we have to navigate in a world of choices um, where we are free, but we are in bondage to sin in in more ways than we could imagine. And so by grace, God does not abandon us. God actually offers himself, his word, his spirit, um, the freedom uh, available in Christ Jesus um, 
that we might live as free people again um, in communion with him through the grace that he offers on the cross in Jesus Christ. So I want to invite you to consider freedom afresh and anew this day. Um, Don't live free from God, but live free in Christ. Stay tuned. There's another hour of Mornings with Carmen coming your way. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.